Here we go. We're in the middle of a series on prayer. Um, next week, we're going to take a break. Mark is going to cover for me. I will see how Thursday rolls, but Mark is going to be in pulpit. It's going to be a special day. Jesse has worked hard with the kids. Christine has been working hard through this Veterans Day um, presentation. And so we're going to hear from Mark on Sunday morning. And so make sure you come out. Make sure you come out and celebrate the great country that we have. We have a great country because of the men and women that are fought and are fighting for our freedom. So make sure you come on out. Um, and see the kids and appreciate our veterans. So we started the first week. We talked about how do I pray through sin? We talked about how do I pray through my desires? How do I pray through confusion? I don't understand. And then this morning, we are going to talk about how do I pray a conversion prayer? How do I take my will and make it God's will? So remember, the prayer is that it's not informing God of what we need. He already knows that. Prayer is us telling God that we're going to trust in his provision. Is really what it comes down to. We pray to an all-knowing God, so don't forget about that. We're going to say our verse, and then we'll roll into it, all right? So let's ver reference verse, and then reference. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5, 14. I have a question for you this morning, one that's been asked of me this week. Why don't we ask for help? Why is asking for help so hard? I, people have asked me that, people that I love, people that I think still love me, and I, I, I don't know the answer. Why do you have such a hard time asking for help? Maybe even if it's a, a jar, a lid jar, whether it's trying to get from the living room to the kitchen on one leg, whether it's you trying to understand that you're getting older in life and you just don't move the way you used to, that snow is a little bit heavier, the yard's a little bit bigger, the car's just a little bit more difficult, why don't we ask for help? I thought, well, maybe it's because we're prideful people. Maybe it's because we're stubborn people. Why are you all laughing? Maybe it's because we're insecure. If I have to ask for help, that means that I don't have everything all together. Maybe it's because I'm arrogant, and I don't think that you can actually help me. I don't know. I really can sit here and tell you I don't know the answer. I have the same question. Why don't I ask for help? I don't know, but I don't ask for help. And what happens is we come to a spot in our life and I would dare say many people have come to a spot where they look at this and go, this is my life. It's a mess. I need help to put it back together. But we don't ask for help. We're going to meet a person this morning who was very prideful, very, very arrogant, very, very boastful, very, very, very stubborn man. His name is Paul. His name is Paul. So would you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, your notes in your bulletin. I've had a lot of time this week to think about it and uh, a lot of time to pray through this as we look at Acts chapter 9. So if you want to take notes, the first thing to realize is I have a past, but God has forgiveness. I have a past, but I'm so thankful that God has forgiveness. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of Acts chapter 9. Then Saul 
who we know as Paul. His name is later changed to Paul. So I'm going to say in front of you and be right now, I'm going to get him confused because I've always known him as Paul, but Scripture says he saw he's the same man just before and after Christ. So I'm going to do the best I can to call him Saul. All right, so then Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. I want you to put your finger in Acts chapter 9. I want you to go over to Acts chapter 7. We need to understand what happened in Acts chapter 7. It's the first martyr. It's Stephen. He was killed for his faith. Now what happened in Acts chapter 7 is Stephen is stoned to death. Now when Stephen is stoned to death, that begins a new level of persecution for the church. And you and I are the same as those believers in the early church. When bad things happen, we scatter, we spread out, we flee. Why? Because we don't want to have the same thing happen to us. And so Paul, Saul, taught myself first time already, Saul, he is going, he is the one in Acts chapter 7, he looks at the stoning of Stephen, he's the one that is holding the coats. He is the one that is giving approval of this stoning of this man, Stephen, the first martyr. He has a, an axe to grind. He has a vendetta. He has one desire for these Christians, air quote Christians, the people of the way. He wants them to suffer. He doesn't just want them to suffer. What does scripture say? He wants to bring them back for trial or just to kill them. And so Saul, he has all this anger and all this wrath. He is going to go, and he is going to go and get letters. The letters that he gets are from the high priest. It's basically, in our day, it's a warrant for their arrest. So Saul can't go and get the people in Damascus until he has letters or he has a warrant for their arrest. He gets that from the high priest. The Romans don't care about this. They have no desire to get into this at all. The only thing the Romans care about is, are the people behaving? As long as the people behave, I don't care what you do. So the high priest says this, this movement of a crucified and supposedly risen Savior is getting out of hand. I, the high priest, will sign their warrants. Saul, go get them. And so Saul, he has all this hatred in his heart. He has this axe to grind, and he is still breathing out threats, and not just threats, murder. Now, it's one thing for me to say something to you. It's another thing for me to show you that I'm serious. Saul is serious in his threats towards the people of the way that now we call Christians. And so they know that he's just not full of fluff. He's going to hold out to it. So the people, they scatter. Isn't it interesting? that the church was confined to Jerusalem. And this great movement has happened. It, some say 100,000 people have come to follow Christ and the risen Savior. And yet they're just, if you will, stuck in Jerusalem. They don't want to branch out. And so guess what happens? Stephen is stoned and poof, here they go. Can I just make it, I'm, I'm going to make an application right here. It's really comfortable in this room. It's really very cozy in this room. We have our friends. You know the people around you. You may be new here. You're starting to understand the flow of things. It's very simple and very easy to start looking inward at our own church, at our own people. But what we need to remember is there is a lost world out there that we need to go and get the message out of this building into the streets. We need, 
if you will, some persecution to get the word out, poof, and now we're scattered to be able to spread the gospel. Interesting thing. Saul hates these people. He hates them with a sincere hatred, all right? So his journey to um, Damascus is 136 miles. Now, some of you have strong dislike. We're all, we're all going to be in church, so no one will raise their hand. But I would dare say, if anybody hates someone, how much do you hate them? How much do you dislike them? Well, Saul dislikes the Christians of the way so much, he's willing to go 136 miles one way to go and get them. That's how much he hates them. To put it in perspective, that's Heartland to Kittery. Wow. I'm willing to drive to Kittery. I I really today, (laughs) truth, I don't want to walk to Kittery. I don't want to hobble to Kittery. But yet, think about it. He's going to go from here to Kittery to go get these people that he hates so much of the way to go and get them and bring them back. That's how far and how much hatred is in his heart. He's not going to go and tell them about Jesus. He's going to go and kill them for believing in Jesus. All right? So Saul, he went to Damascus. Still breathing threats of the way. Why do they call them the way? Well, Scripture in verse 1 says they are, of, or verse 2 says they are of the way. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus brought a new teaching, so they weren't called Christians until Antioch, which means little Christ, which was not a form of endearment. It was a mockery, or it could be a form of, of um pleasure, if you will, or affirmation, that they're all looking like little Christ. So right now they're called the people of the way. So go get the people of the way and bring them back, bound. So they're going to drag them, they're going to find them, they're going to bind them, and they're going to drag them from Kittery back to Heartland to come into the high priest, which is not me, so don't misapply this. You're going to come to the high priest to put them under trial to kill them, or at least put him into jail. You see, Paul, Saul, had a past. And some of you sit here going, this whole thing about Jesus, only Jesus, and, you know, Savior, you can move mountains, and we sing about Calvary, years I spent in vanity and pride, daring not my Lord was crucified. And you sit there and you say, but you don't know what is in my heart. I don't know what's in your heart, but I know of a man that was a murderer, killer, and a a headhunter for the very people that he was going to witness to, and God forgave him. What wonderful, wonderful mercy, love, and forgiveness that God offers for the sin that you're thinking about that you don't believe God can forgive. We'll talk about that in another minute or so, actually like 15. Let's keep going, all right? So the first one is, I have a past but God has forgiveness. The second one is, I have a plan, (laughs) but so does God. When we come in prayer, we need to understand that when we approach a holy God, I have a past and God has forgiveness. I have plans. I, I joke about and I talk about my calendar and it doesn't say this on Google Calendar. There's a lot in my life right now that I didn't have planned out, but God also has a plan. 
when we come to prayer, we come praying one thing, and sometimes God takes our plan and says, but I have a different plan. Let's see what happens here. So as he journeyed, he being Saul, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around from heaven. I want you to write in your notes or in your Bible, Acts 22, verse 6. Acts 22, verse 6. What happens here is Saul, now Paul, says that when he had that road to, on, of Damascus experience conversion, it was noon. So it was the brightest of bright days, and the sun was shining, but there was a light that was even bigger than the light of the sun that shone around him. That would be the presence of Jesus Christ. He came and he, he showed himself in a light that was so bright from heaven. Then he fell to the ground. Saul fell to the ground. Why? Because he was experiencing something. He was seeing something that he knew was not normal. And he said to, he fell to the ground and he heard the voice say to him, Saul, Saul, flight. Sometimes we as men, we have selective hearing. Sometimes you ladies, you have selective hearing. And sometimes people say things, but, but when they say your name twice, hey, look at me, I'm talking to you. Saul, Saul. Yeah, all right, you got my attention. There's many people named Tom. Every time I go to the doctor, you know how many Tom Browns there are? I said, I'm unique though. Give me five minutes with you, you'll never forget me for good or for bad. <laughs> so he's saying, hey, Saul. I thought I heard something. Hey, Saul, 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 look at me, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Well, interesting. Jesus, uh, Saul has not persecuted Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. Who is Saul persecuting? He's persecuting the church. And the church is part of Christ. And so one piece of, of appreciation I have and one, one piece of peace I have is when you mess with the church, when people are starting to pick on the church, you're not just picking on the church. You're picking on Jesus. And when you pick on Jesus, that's not good for you. So he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now I want to stop for a minute and put myself in Saul's shoes. And I really want, and I sat and I thought about this for some time this week. Here comes Saul. He's a Pharisee. The Pharisees, they did not believe in Christ. Well, after Christ's crucifixion, Deuteronomy 21 tells us that they believe that cursed is the man that hangs on the tree. So here comes the people of the way, and what they are saying of the way is you're worshiping a crucified man that is supposedly risen from the dead. Saul says, according to the Old Testament, that's not right. And I, as Saul, need to take it in my hands to stop this. But you don't miss one thing about Saul's life. He has no, no God. God is not in his life. And so he's going and he's persecuting. And Jesus is saying to him, and he said to, and Saul said to him, who are you, Lord? What is this voice? What are, what are you doing? Who is this? And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You're picking on me. You're persecuting me. And then he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. What does that mean? Of, of all the things that Jesus could have said, why would Jesus say that? Jesus said that, that, that phrase is because it goes back to an ox goad. Now, I don't have an ox goad, but I have the second closest thing to an ox goad this morning. And what an ox goad is, is it's a long piece of wood. 
And at the end where the end would be is a hook. And at the end of the hook, there is a nice sharp point. And you take that for an ox. Now, if you were plowing and the ox would start to go in the wrong direction, you just give a little doink and it would be a gentle reminder. And if the ox did not go the way you wanted it to go, there would be a little bit more of a doink. And guess what happens? If the ox still did not listen, you would implant that thorn or that piece of metal into the ox to get him or her, the stubbornness, to go the way you want it to go. Here comes Saul. He is persecuting the church. He is killing people, the very people that are of the way. And now Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's me, it's Christ, the risen Lord. Why are you kicking against me? Jesus is coming and he's telling Saul, I'm trying to get your attention and you just won't listen. Now, Saul, I have shown myself to you and you can't kick against the goads. You cannot deny what has just happened to you. And Saul has just met the risen Lord, which has taken his belief of God and his belief of everything that happened to Calvary and thrown it into the air because he believed that Jesus was crucified, but that he was not the Messiah. And now a crucified, risen Messiah is sitting and talking to him from heaven. And Saul, Saul's sitting there going, this changes everything. Remember the last time Jesus appeared? Well, it's Acts chapter 7. Stephen said, behold, I see Jesus sitting on the right hand of God, and he is sitting in all of his glory. And what happened? He stoned Stephen. So here comes Jesus again, showing himself to Saul and saying, stop kicking against what you know is true. Sometimes what happens, I will say it of me, I don't want to offend you, I can be stubborn, I can be prideful, I can be arrogant, I can be pig-headed, I can be all these things, and I just won't give in. Until all of a sudden, here comes the Lord with his ox goad. And he comes and he sinks it into me. He says, now you listen to me. You listen with your faith. Saul, Saul, boom. Yes, Lord, drop to his knees. Is God trying to get your attention? Sometimes what happens is people try to get our attention and we have selective hearing. Sometimes they repeat our names. Tom, Tom. Sometimes there is an elbow of clarification comes through the Holy Spirit to the person sitting beside you, and they dig that into your ribs. The Lord has got his ox code, and he's sinking it into Saul, saying, Saul, what are you going to do about it now? Because I have risen, and you are persecuting my people. Do I have your attention yet? Application, is God trying to get your attention? Get, let him have your attention before he starts with the ox goad, because that causes pain. Let's keep going, all right? So, I have a past. God has, a, God has forgiveness. I have a plan. So does God. I have a will, but I need to be submissive. Because what happens is when I pray, when I pray, I come to God saying, God, this is what you need to do. But I also need to realize that God has a plan, and my plan 
does not always include God's plan because God sees everything. And yet I don't see everything. So let's go ahead and look at verse 6. <clears throat> so he, trembling and astonished, he being Saul, uh, uh, trembling and astonished. So let me just stop right here. This whole thing of when I get to heaven and I have the 7,000 questions and, and when you get to heaven, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to stand there and I'm going to wave my finger in God's face and say, God, why did you do this? What does scripture say is going to happen? We're going to see Jesus, and there's not going to be anybody standing. We're going to be flat on our face. What scriptures say? Trembling and astonished. We're not going to be able to stand there and say, God, you need to give an account of me. We're going to be mesmerized and overcome by the greatness of God. And at the beauty of Christ and what he has done for us, we will just fall flat on our face. If it happened for Saul, it's going to happen for us. Philippians chapter 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. So don't think, don't let yourself think that when I get to heaven, God and I are going to have a discussion. No, when you get to heaven, God's going to, you're just going to fall in worship. Saul, <clears throat> he fell trembling and astonished. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Interesting. Saul had a plan. What was he going to do? He had the papers. He had the warrant for their arrest to go get the Christians of the way to drag them back 136 miles, put them in prison, go back and forth and get them and squash this movement. And all of a sudden, he met Christ and everything changed. Everything changed. He says, God, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? It's not about what I want to do anymore. It's about, Lord, what's your plan for my life? Notice there's a complete reversal. Then Jesus, the Lord, said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. What do you notice? There's not the five-year plan written out. There's not the 10-year plan written out. There's not the 20-minute plan written out. Saul is given his next step. Go into the city, sit, and wait. So many times what happens is we want to know the plans. I want to know the plans. What's going to happen in three months? What's going to happen in six months? What's going to happen next year? What's going to happen in two years? What's going to happen in three years? What's the 15-year plan? Well, Jesus tell Saul, the next step is obedience. Get up and go into the city. It's going to take obedience. Sometimes you know the next step. Sometimes it's taking that next step, knowing the ground's there, you just don't see it. So it's interesting. He says, you're going to be told what you need to do. Just go into the city. Saul, are you going to go? You want to know what you want me to do? Go into the city. This is an interesting picture of the road to Damascus. It's in modern-day Damascus. I don't know if this is where it is. I just found it on Google. But it's interesting. It gives you a thought of here he is out in the middle of nowhere, and he has this experience. And then I have this written here. If God can forgive a man who participated in the murder of a Christian, the first martyr, we know that from Acts 7, then what's holding you back from accepting his forgiveness? Oh, you don't understand. God can't forgive me because. Well, murder is murder. Persecution is persecution. What's holding you back from forgiveness? 
I can't because fill in the blank. God forgave Saul. What's holding you back from sharing this changed life with someone else? Can I take it a step further? God can't use me because of my sin X, which has been forgiven. And some people don't want to get into ministry. I'm not talking full-time ministry of a pastor. I'm talking helping with kids club, helping with youth group, helping with an outreach, helping with Celebrate Recovery, helping with Sunday school, helping with nursery, helping with you name it, fellowship, helping with the trustees, helping with the ushers. I can't do that because I've done this in the past. Well, hey, we all have a past. But thankful that God forgave us of the past. And if Saul can forgive I'm sorry, if God can forgive Saul and use him in ministry, why could God not call and use you in the ministry? What's holding you back? What's holding you back? So, I need to share. I may be shy. I may be embarrassed. And when we go to share our faith, we become shy. We become tongue twisted. But I need to testify. Saul is on the road. This, this part of the story, this part of the, if you will, the testimony of what's happened to Saul, it fascinates me, and it just jumped off the pages as I read and studied it this week. The men who were traveling with him, so he had others in his cohort, they were there with him. God only spoke to one person, Saul. So let's go ahead and read it. The men who were traveling with him being Saul, they stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. So commentators are, are a little confused on this. So this is generally what they say is Saul heard the voice of Jesus loud and clear. There were other men. My question is how many? I couldn't find an answer to how many other men. Was it two, three, five, seven? I couldn't find it in my studies. But other men tells me at least in the English language that's two because it's plural. So I'm going to say for sake of argument, there's two other men that were with him. They heard the sound of Jesus, but they couldn't make it out. And isn't it interesting? I sat there and I thought about that. There's, two, there's three men. One man is having a conversation with the risen Lord. The other two can hear a noise, but they can't understand. And I thought that is so true to today because we walk out and there's three people walking down the road. One person looks up and says, look at the beauty of creation. Look at the wonderful colors of fall. Look at the wonderful mountains that we have made. Certainly there is a God in heaven who created all this. Second person comes out and they say, look at the beauty of the earth. Look at the splendor of this beautiful creation. I cannot believe we evolved from premortal slime. And we have people that have heard from the risen God. And yet there's some people that see the same thing and they just don't hear. They just don't hear. So these two men, they stood beside him speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. They could hear, but it's almost like the Charlie Brown teacher on the cartoon. I'm not saying God speaks like that, but God was crystal clear to Saul. But the other two men, they could hear it, but they could not understand it. That brings another question to me that I told you is not valid when I get to heaven, but I have a lot of questions about these guys. But I don't know how to answer. Verse 8, Saul got up from the ground, 
though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. There was temporary blindness. For three days, he's going to be blind. He has to go in the city. Just think. Just sit back and think. We don't know how close he was to Damascus. We don't have a spot that we can go over and have a monument and say, this is where Saul heard from the risen Christ. This is where Saul knelt. But he had a while to travel, even a mile. What do you think? And, and you never assume in the scripture. Or you never assume in the scripture. But I just want you to wander with me. I wonder what that conversation was. As this man saw, he was completely driven. And those, at least three other men, had one mission. Let's go get those Christians or those ones of the way. Let's drag them and bring them back. And now here comes Saul, falls to the ground, he's blind, and Saul's saying, hey guys, um, the people, the guy that we've been persecuting, he just spoke to me. And Saul is giving this testimony of what happened in his life. How long did that happen? How long was the walk? I don't know, but they took him by the hand. This man that was so full of hatred, how much hate do you have to have in your heart to walk from here to Kittery to go get someone. And all of a sudden, everything's changed. They took him by the hand, and as they walked that road, they walked into Damascus, and he was unable to see for three days, and, they did, and he did not eat, and he did not drink for three days. You, know, you want to know why three days? I don't know why either. But can I, can I give you an assumption I have that you can buy a cup of coffee? How long was Christ in the grave? Three days. Interesting. There's always a method with God. And he took one of the most peop one of the people that was most hated, most hated the church, and he took and he radically changed their lives. And yet Saul is walking down the road telling them, I met the risen Savior. And here starts his testimony and his ministry to the people. Three questions, and then we're done. First one is, am I following my plan or God's plan? Am I following my plan or God's plan? Because sometimes what happens is God has, God, there's no sometimes, God has a plan. The question comes is, am I following God's plan? What is God's plan? I would submit to you this morning, you read scripture. And that is what God's plan for your life is. But there are certain callings and certain giftings that God has given us that sometimes we don't use. So the first question is, am I following my plan or God's plan? Second question is, is God moving in my life? Has God been moving? Has he been stirring within my soul a movement? But then the second question is, am I listening? Because God will get your attention. You understand, he made heaven, he made earth. He will get your attention. Whether it's a slight tap, whether it's a repeating of your name, or whether it's with his ox goad, he's going to get your attention. The question is, how much pain are you willing to suffer before you listen? How much pain are you willing to endure before you say, Lord, what do you have for me? Is God moving in my life? Third and final question is, who is one person I can testify to? Who's one person I can tell? You know, Joe talked about it's hunting season, where some of you are going out to hunting camp, and you've got a great opportunity to share your faith. You're out at work. You've got a great opportunity to share your faith. You're out raking the leaves. You're out 
boiling water on your grill because we have no power. And your neighbors, we're building together as we walk through this next phase of life. There's opportunities for you to testify to what Jesus has done. Hey, do you have five minutes? I'd love to tell you something awesome that happened in my life. Just imagine. It's one of the places I have to ask the Lord, and I know it's not I know it's probably not going to happen. God, take me back to what happened on that road to Damascus. What was that conversation between Saul and the other guys as they led him down the path? It's our chance to testify of what God has done for us. Who's one person you can testify? Thanksgiving and Christmas, they're coming. They're coming soon. Families are getting together. Great opportunity to share your faith. Who's one person you can testify about what Jesus has done? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? love to pray for you as your pastor. Is there anybody here this morning that says, Tom, would you pray for me? Because right now I'm trying to figure out, am I following my plan or God's plan? Would you pray for guidance for me? Because I'm not sure what God is doing, but I know that I need to follow his plan. Would you pray for me? Anybody? See that one hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Is there anybody here this morning that says, would you pray for me? Because I think God is moving in my life, but I'm just not sure what he's leading me to or what the next step is. Would you pray for me? Anybody here? I see one, two hands. Thank you. Three hands. Four hands. Anybody else? Is there anybody here this morning I would say, Tom, would you pray for me for boldness? Because I have the opportunities. Would you pray for boldness that I would testify to the greatness of what God is doing in my life? One, two hands. Three, four, five, six, seven. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for this testimony from a a man named Saul who went to Damascus with one thing on his mind, persecution, death, murder, hatred, torture, and then he met Jesus. And then everything changed. Lord, how often do we come with a plan and then we understand that your will and our will are two different things. So I pray for those that are asking for prayer, that they would follow your plan, Lord, help us to go according to your word and where you are leading us, not according to our path of where we want to go. Lord, I pray for those that are wondering, God, what are you doing in my life? Lord, help us to be sensitive to your movement. We don't want you to have to use an ox code that's going to cause pain and discomfort. Help us to be sensitive to the still, small voice of our name being repeated twice. Lord, help us to listen to you. And then help us to be willing to obey when we know the next step, not the next 40 steps. Help us to be obedient to the plan for the next step. Lord, give us boldness that we need to be able to testify to what has happened in our life. Lord, we once were lost, but now we're found. We once were blind, but now we see. Lord, give us the boldness to be able to share that truth with someone in the next week the next two weeks, or over the Thanksgiving table in the next three weeks. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that does not know you, that has never had that moment of clarity, but you're speaking to them, may this morning be the morning that they drop to their knees and they say, Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified as all is said and done. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.